Last year, 194 million people flew on U.S. airlines, and out of those, guess how many people were injured in turbulence? A couple thousand? Just 17. 17? It's pretty rare. But how many of those 194 million were scared? I think a lot. I'm Erin Black, and this is Leslie Josephs. We both cover aviation here at CNBC. And this week, we are talking about turbulence, which, are you afraid of turbulence? I don't like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not comfortable. You know, I, I want it to end All right, immediately. but like mid-flight, you're going through turbulence. Are you worried for your life? I'm not worried for my life. I'm worried for my comfort. Mm. And I want it to end immediately, and I... I hate it. Actually, are you afraid of turbulence? I am not anymore. I used to be. I actually had like a panic attack like 10 years ago on a flight just because it wasn't actually turbulence. We were like landing in Texas and it was just like we were dropping and turning and I just like freaked out. But now I think I'm like one of those people when the plane starts shaking that you look over and they're just like super calm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think everyone has like their most methods. of the time. Most of the time, it de- it depends on the turbulence. You have to look at like the business travelers. I feel like, and if other people are calm, I usually feel calm. Like the flight attendant sitting there, just sitting like there, reading. just like yeah, like scrolling mm-hmm. on the phone. I feel good about that. If I see another nervous person and we lock eyes, it's like forget. <laughs> it. Like it's just, uh, yeah, not not a fan. Well, but it is not have dangerous. A community of of people, you know, yeah. who are also scared. But I think learning more about it has made me less scared. You know, like you were scared maybe years ago and Mm -hmm. and kind of worried for safety. It's a really uncomfortable thing, especially when it's in the middle of your flight. You can't really get out. It's not like you're on a bus that's like shaking back and forth. And if you're getting sick or you feel uncomfortable, you could like get off at the next stop. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of trapped in there. Yeah. Um, But I think once you learn about it and how well planes are designed to handle turbulence, it's such an integral part of flying that, you know, it, it. could make you calmer mm-hmm. over the years, or it made me calmer. <laughs> well, let's start with what is turbulence? So turbulence, I mean, you're flying in the air at like 400, 500 miles per hour. Um, turbulence is essentially encountering all these kind of instabilities in the air, and they can be caused by everything from pressure changes, thunderstorms, air around mountains. There's something called clear air turbulence, which is probably the most vexing because it can happen very suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to predict. And turbulence in general is is really hard to predict. So, you know, you're flying in the air, it's in motion, the plane is in motion, and and that's why it kind of feels so uncomfortable or yeah. to some people fun. It always but feels like in the summer months, it's way more bumpy. The summer is really tricky because there are lots of thunderstorms. And even if you're not, you know, pilots fly, don't fly generally through a thunderstorm. Sometimes there's nowhere to avoid, you know, where you're flying, but they're not going to fly generally on top of it. They're not going to fly through it. They're going to fly around it. Even if you're miles outside of it, you could still some of those bumps when you're coming into land that's when i get calm because i'm like it's gonna end like we're gonna we're almost there like if it's bumpy on the way down fine if Mm -hmm. it's like if we're like leveled off and there's like four or five hours to go really uncomfortable because like you have no end in sight at least there's a goal it's like oh we're 20 minutes from new york okay but you know you're you're going through weather often you can't you can't avoid it you can't like skirt a cloud cover that's covering new york city i think it's one of those things that you can't really get around if you need to get from A to B and flying is the only way. Yeah. I think they should make rules too that like if you're going through bad turbulence, 
anyone on the window has to open the shade. Oh, yeah. I hate when you're like, like it's shaking and you're like, and you're like, yeah, you're like, this is normal, but still like, can I just see outside? Can I just yeah. see what's happening? I have, the reason why I sat at the window and like developed this habit of always picking a window seat or usually picking a window seat is like, I had to, I had to check how much the wing was shaking just, just to see, not that I'm going to oh, like, because you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay. But sometimes, and you also want to see what the weather is. It's like, mm -hmm. are there storms near us? And you could kind of see like those billowing clouds, like you talked about summer travel, but like, I don't know. It gave me some kind of comfort. It's it's a weird thing. Like you drive in a car and you can see in front of you when mm -hmm. you're on a jet, like that door's closed and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. There, there's all kind of like psychological stresses and issues. I'm sure that are. The clear air is, is really interesting. It, like <laughs> when you open the window and you're just like, it's like a perfect, you can yeah. see, you know, hundreds of miles away and you're just like, what is happening? Yeah. I, I think that's the most upsetting or if you're really scared or just it, kind of a strange phenomenon because mm -hmm. it's like we can't see it. It's not like a storm where you could see the clouds. See, that like see. reassures me. Like I don't like when you're in like those really huge clouds and you open the window and you see nothing. Yeah. Like that. that's what makes me like really nervous. Yeah. Or night Because like, you know, the pilots are up there and they can't see anything either. No, definitely not. I mean, I once used all of my American Airlines miles going from Lima to New York to go in business class and on LAN and now LATAM. And I, it was a like first business class seat ever, the only one for business class international ever. And um, it was so turbulent. I called the flight attendant over, I think, maybe no fewer than five times to be like, is this okay? Like, this is a long time <laughs> no. ago. This is before I was on the beat. And I was just like, is it okay? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and then, um, but it was bad. Have you another know, drink. <laughs> yeah, have another drink. No, it, it was really bad. Like, they didn't have service for the flight, you know, the flight attendants were seated the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I try to look at the flight attendants. Yeah. To them, it's like. I mean, turbulence should feel like not as bad in first class, right? Because you're. Because yeah, the seats are. Yeah, you're know. more, you're more comfortable. <laughs> it was like, this was before they had live flat seats in, yeah. um, in business class, but it was, I didn't enjoy it at all. It was like the biggest waste of miles oh, ever because I was so nervous. But this was like 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, one time I was in first class and we had really bad turbulence and like one of the carts fell over. And, like, people were very upset that one yeah. of the carts fell over. Because it could be really dangerous. And, mm -hmm. like, we talked about those injuries, you know, like 17 people. Maybe that count will go up. There was a really bad incident on Hawaiian late last year in December where, you know, dozens of people were hurt and taken to the hospital. I think it was more than 30 people because the turbulence was so bad. So you you can get injured. That's why when that fasten seatbelt sign comes on, I mean, it might think it's stupid if the plane is, you know, moving up and down or side to side and rattling. But things can fall. And mm -hmm. if you're strapped into your seat, you have a less of a chance of of getting hurt. But I feel like we have, and you were just talking about this, recently seen more incidents of bad turbulence like affecting affecting flights. Yeah. So one of the things that researchers have been looking at is how changing climate and changing jet stream, you know, those the strong winds um, going from west to east. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, when in the winter, sometimes if it's very strong, you'll see like the four and a half hour flight to from New York to London. But then going the other way, it's it's so much worse. Mm -hmm. So there was a researcher out of um, the University of Reading who said that by 2050, those incidents can really rise um, mm -hmm. by a lot. That's something airlines have to deal with. And they have so much technology for weather, but turbulence is a very tricky thing to predict. So is it actually getting worse? There are more incidents of it 
lately, and more people are also flying. But with the jet stream getting stronger, there is some concern that you know there could be more of these incidents going forward. And every airline handles it a little bit differently around the world. You know, there, there are some areas in the world where it's just extremely turbulent. You can't get around that. The Andes are very turbulent. So we did talk to a pilot. Yep. Bill Sablesack was at United Airlines, recently retired. He was a 737 captain. And uh, he's been flying planes for more than 40 years. So we asked him a lot of questions about turbulence. A good place to start is kind of what is it? And when you're in the cockpit, what do you do when you encounter it? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, what it is, it's the atmosphere. And so, as you know, the atmosphere surrounds the earth we live in. And it's constantly moving, it's constantly changing, it's constantly in flux. And you don't see it because the air is clear, but it's just like a river or an ocean, and it's, it's always moving, and it's, it's always changing. And then we take an airplane, we take a metal tube, and we fill it with a lot of people, and then we put it through this ever constantly changing atmosphere at 80% of the speed of sound. It's not going to be smoke. <laughs> what creates turbulence? There's all different types of turbulence. There's clear, clear air turbulence. There's weight turbulence behind another airplane, just like a speedboat in the ocean or in a river leaves the weight behind it. Airplanes in the sky do the same thing. You don't see it. Uh, but it's there. And it's, it's like I said, the atmosphere is always moving. It could be a totally peaceful day with no weather systems involved. But here in my home, I live right on the ocean, and it's turbulent out there because of different temperatures. So the air over the ocean cools at a different rate than the air over the land. And heat rises and cold air descends. So you have all these different currents of air going up and down and sideways. And then you get weather systems that create a lot of turbulence. And then you get mountains that create turbulence, the Rocky Mountains. And where I did a lot of my flying in the last few years down to the uh, Bogota, Colombia, is middle of the Andes Mountains. So you know it's going to be turbulent on the last hour of flight into Bogota because of the huge Andes Mountains. Out of all of your flights and your career that you've piloted, how many didn't have turbulence? A very small amount. There's, there's always some turbulence out there. And uh, every once in a while you get totally lucky and it's, it's totally smooth. Uh, but very few have no turbulence. And, you know, back in the day, uh, there's been the airlines to their credit. You got to give them credit where it's due, and they put a big emphasis on mitigating turbulence injuries because there's a lot of turbulence injuries all around the world. And so back in the day, there was really no training. I mean, basically no training. United, my former carrier, um, used a company called WSI. Excellent weather forecast. It's right on our iPad. We. We go into, kind of, they used to call it the weather room. The pilots used to meet in the weather room to, to go over the weather and the flight plan and where we're going and how much moon you have. United changed the terminology, different culture. They call it the flight planning area. But you meet in the flight planning area, you bring up your laptop, you put in your flight number, and it's got weather for every airport from New York to Los Angeles, if that's where you're going. And 
you can look at the turbulence by different altitudes for the entire route. Because the right, I mean, it's really phenomenal what what they've done for for planning and, and forecasting. So that's gotten much much better. And like I said, there's a lot of turbulence industry. Uh, so I assume it's across the whole uh, industry to mitigate those the losses because it's costing them a lot of money from passengers as well as flight attendants. So United put a real emphasis on it. And they actually go over it and make you do it every training session. We, and we go every nine months to training, uh, recurring training pilots. And in this scenario, there's, there's always turbulence. You, you, you take off and the simulator starts shaking like that and you're, you're in the turbulence and you gotta do your deal. In the old days, we would just turn on the seatbelt sign and that was it. Now we have to make the people that get paid a lot more than I do figure that you have to make a PA announcement. So in addition to turning on the seatbelt sign, now we have to make a PA announcement. And the PA announcement is very specific. And if if you know, based on reports from other airplanes in front of you or from the weather charts or whatever, that there's going to be turbulence ahead, you... And I do both. I call on the Uniphone and then I do my PA. And, and that specific PA that my airline is flight attendants take your jump seats. So flight attendants take your jump seats. That keys them in to, if they're moving about to put their cards away and sit down, they have some time. If you get into unexpected turbulence, because you just went into weight turbulence behind another airplane or something else, then it's flight attendants be seated immediately, be seated immediately. And they're supposed to in their words, they, they drop, they stop and drop. So if they're in the middle of the aisle handing out coats when this happens, then they're supposed to just stop the coke and drop into an open seat or on the floor of the airplane and, and hold on. And then we have some other calls and stuff to when they get up and it's safe to get up and all that. And it's all part of a thing that they call the Turbulence Action Guide, which is a guide for all this stuff. And when they started enforcing all this stuff for, for the pilots, uh, I know their turbulence-related injuries came down significantly. So hopefully they're still there. But the whole key is communication. Okay, so over the last 46 years, has turbulence gotten better or worse, stayed the same? It's, it's No, it's, I, I think it's, uh, it's significantly worse or stronger. And I'm not a meteorologist, and I'm not going to get into politics and what's causing it. But I can tell you as a pilot, the weather patterns have changed. Uh, they've gotten a lot worse. Also, the wind patterns have changed. In the United States, generically, the winds are from west to east. And the airlines, that's how they plan the flight. So the flight from New York to Los Angeles is basically an hour longer than the flight from L.A. to New York. Because going westbound, you're into the wind. Eastbound, you've got the tailwind. I, I flew flights in the last couple of years where the winds were from the east the whole way. And so all the flights are getting to L.A. an hour and a half or two hours early. And all the flights going back to the New York area are getting to New York late. So the winds have changed. They also have shifted. So the jet stream, uh, which used to be over Canada uh, in the summertime, the springtime, and then the wintertime gets stronger, it comes down over the middle part of the United States. Now it's shifted down to the Gulf Coast. So there's always a constant line of strong winds over the bottom of the Gulf Coast, from like Houston to New Orleans to Pensacola. 
And there's always weather there. Every day you bring up the weather maps, and there's rain there that's being created by this jet stream that's down low. So the air has gotten more turbulent. The weather has gotten more turbulent and more severe, generally speaking. I can't prove it by numbers, but in my experience as a pilot, the weather and winds have shifted and changed. Is it up to the captain to turn on the fasten seatbelt sign? Because isn't it a kind of subjective? Like what's severe to someone? Might yeah, yes, it is. It, it, it is subjective. And there, there are definitions in the Emmons Information Manual and the FAA puts out definitions. And it's from light. And there's, there's actually there's turbulence and there's chop too. So there's chop and turbulence and it goes from light to, to severe. So... And there's different ways of measuring. If you look in the federal air regulations and, you know, light, light shop is, uh, you know, when your cup of coffee has some white caps in it. And severe turbulence is where it's so bad, you absolutely cannot read the instruments because everything's moving around so much. So, yeah, so it's subjective. And when the captain turns on the seatbelt sign, yes, totally subjective. In the old days, guys would... Some guys would never turn it off. Uh, you know, these old school, and I became one of them, these old school captains with the gray head that I learned so much from. They were just, back in the days, they leave it on all the time because if something happens, they're going to get sued. So if I have the sign on, the airline can't get sued and the captain can't get sued. But then you're training the passengers to not follow the sign. So I was always conscientious, and I'd make that part of my PA, that welfare board PA, that if, the seat, if you see the seatbelt sign on, it's on for a reason, and that reason is your safety. And that's another thing. People don't follow the signs. And then as the older I got, though, the more understanding I got, because I would see these people get up. People, especially, you know, up and down the Northeast, Miami to New York, New York, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, whatever, they, you know, people, they get up and they do what they want. They don't follow the signs. And I guess the most egregious one, I was commuting home from Houston. I was based in Houston at the time, and I was sitting in the very back of a United 737, and we're taking off on runway 15 left. I'm going home, happy, so thrilled to be going home. We're rolling down the runway, and the nose of the airplane is just lifting in the air. So the, the main gear is still on the runway. And this old man gets up, like two rows in front of me. And he's going to the lab, which is right behind me. I'm in the way in the back. Because if we would have rejected the takeoff or whatever, I mean, he would have been, God knows where he was. But he's an old man with a prostate issue. <laughs> he's got to go. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> right? So it became more understanding. So people have to go when they have to go. And, of course, it never happened to me. I was fortunate that people didn't get hurt on my career on my flights. But the ones that happened, if there was a turbulence-related injury, they would sometimes get lawyers and sue. And the big question is, was the seatbelt sign on? If the seatbelt sign is on, then they're violating the sign. The flight attendants, in the old days, too, the flight attendants were told they had to keep them there. Now, with all the disruptive passengers and everything else, I guess the advice to them is they just advise them to stay down. They can't make them get down. And how about the different routes? Like you were kind of saying this earlier, but within the U.S. are certain routes more turbulent? I know I remember flying from San Francisco into Denver being one of the, the Denver, most nerve-wracking. Yeah, the Denver area is, is always, not always, but it's 
more often not turbulent because of the, the Rocky Mountains out there. And so it's always, uh, and it's always the winds too. So the winds change turbulent there. Um, some of the worst turbulence I've had is actually in the Northeast. And uh, especially springtime or wintertime, you get the really strong cold fronts that come through. And after the cold front comes through, then you get the gusting turbulent winds always from the Northwest. And so that makes it more difficult. In addition to that, then you got, that's when you have to use, and you guys are familiar, both the, the three airports in the New York area, LaGuardia, Kennedy, and Newark, the runways are all in the exact same direction because they build the runways into the winds. So the winds, the runways are all exactly the same. So uh, when the winds are, when the cold front comes through, the winds are very gusty and strong from the Northwest. So you got to land on the Northwest runway, which is runway 13 in uh, LaGuardia and uh, 13 in, in Newark and this 13 in Kennedy. And they all have circling approaches to it in order to get to those runways. So you, you, you bounce along into that wind and then you got to do, uh, in, in Newark, it's called the stadium visual approach. So you do the stadium visual approach over the Meadowlands and you land on this little short runway. In LaGuardia, you do the expressway visual approach. You go up the expressway, then make the steep left turn around the old Shea Stadium or City Field, and you land into the Northwest. And so, but some of the strongest winds in, in my career were there. Um, and it seems always still, it happened to my wife, and I did a lot of training, but it's always a new captain, guaranteed your first leg after getting signed off from IOE, you're free to go fly. I guarantee you it's going to be on a cold front day landing on a, on a super turbulent crossman. And that's what happened to me way back in the day in the 727. And I was landing in, uh, coming up in Tampa, Tampa, Florida, the Washington, Washington National Airport. And a really strong cold front had just come through when they were landing on runway 36. But the winds were gusting to almost 50 miles an hour. And so there's another little runway there. Uh, runway 31, more to the northwest. But there's no instrument approaches to it. So I did that, and I did a visual approach to that. So it came right up the Potomac River, and then there's no instruments to it, so it's a visual little shot runway. So some of the hardest work, not hardest, but most challenging approaches uh, in my career were in the Northeast after a cold front that comes through. Were you scared? You get scared afterwards. You know, when you're flying and working, that's, that's my career. They, they train you. The training's really good. And you, you get scared afterwards when you get home and you start thinking about it. That's when you get scared. But when you're doing it, you don't, you don't feel it. What do you say to people who are afraid of turbulence and feel like the plane could break apart? The planes are designed uh, they're for, and I can give you the numbers, but they're designed to plus 2.5 Gs or whatever. And they literally are, the movie Airplane with Joe Petroni was, remember Joe Petroni, the TWA guy? And he's trying to get the airplane in Chicago out of the snow. And he says, the 707 is a tank. And you know what? It is. The airplanes, the manufacturers have done such a tremendous job with those airplanes. And they, they built tanks. And so it's not going to, you know, nothing's going to fall off. Hopefully. <laughs> is it, I mean, is it possible, you know, I think people always worry the plane is going to, you know, fall out of the sky. Is that, you know, what's the, what's the. What are the what are the worst things that could happen in turbulence? That the, the biggest 
thing that the biggest bad thing that happened in turbulence is people are going to puke all over the inside of the airplane. That's, I mean, that's that's it. Yeah, nothing's going to fall off. Nothing's going to nothing's going to break because it's designed so well. Um, but I mean, if you get in, you know, I mean, look at the hurricane hunters. The the, the Air Force and the NOAA guys go out and they fly in hurricanes. Yeah, and they come back safely. You know, wings don't fall off, the engines don't quit. Things can happen. Uh, you know, if you if you fly through the middle of a thunderstorm, uh, which is like a super has more power than a you know atomic bomb. If you fly through a, a thunderstorm, um, yeah, that that can tear an airplane apart. And and there was a crash. It was actually here in Miami, Florida, back in the uh, the, the mid to late sixties. So Northwest uh, Airlines, Northwest Orient Airlines, seven oh seven. That's so far, and flew through a, a thunderstorm, uh, and literally it it tore the wings off and tore the engine. But normal turbulence, not in a thunderstorm. So that's why you don't fight through thunderstorms, which is why you have a thunderstorm, you know, on the arrival route into one of the New York airports. You you can't fly through it. You have to go around it. And that's another thing that's gotten much much better over the years is the weather radar on board the airplane. The 737 Max is the most wonderful weather radar that, that I've ever seen. Back in the day, when I started out, the weather radars were, they called them black and white. It wasn't black and white, it was green. Just different shades of green on the weather display. Now they're multicolored, so you got uh, severe turbulence because of the weather is magenta, and then you got red for you know really bad turbulence, and you got different yellow and green. And um, on the uh, and on the weather radar screen, it, it point it paints it it's a beautiful picture, and you'd have to be sleeping to fly through something like that. So, and, uh, but that's the problem with the you know summertime in the in all airspace, but especially in New York because there's so much traffic up there, and all the arrival and departure corridors, the highways in the sky are so close together. Normally, and then you put up one little thunderstorm there and you can't fly through it so you've got to go around it but in order to go around it you're in the path of the other airplane that's on the highway in the sky to LaGuardia so the controls have to separate them all like that and that's another thing judgment you learn after 46 years you learn down here in Florida there's little white puffy clouds and you think it's nothing right it's not it's not associated with the weather system those can be some of the most little vicious deals that you get into. I mean, it could really, so I always err on the abundance of caution thing. So if I see the little puppy clouds, I'll tell the flight attendants to go ahead and sit down and finish up and take their seats. Because what looks like this little, not even painting on the weather radar, so it's judgment, not even painting on the weather radar, but you can get hammered. And then, of course, it always is the opposite. So you, you, you tell them to sit down, it's going to be smooth as silk. If you don't tell them to sit down, you're going to get ahead, guaranteed. So it's a, it's a judgment, subjective judgment thing based on experience and what you uh, have seen. If you're facing clear air turbulence, how easy is it for you as a pilot to change your altitude or fly around it? You, you can try, and sometimes it's, that's become more difficult too because there's so much more air traffic. So you you see, you're you're feeling it or you see it, but you can't ask the air traffic controller to go around it or to change your altitude because he or she is so busy talking to all the other airplanes on, on the frequency. Uh, so it, you can't, sometimes you can't even get a word in. 
So down in what they call the waters area, which is the offshore airspace uh, to the east of Florida. But when you're flying from New York down to the Caribbean, you're in what they call the waters area. It's non-radar, so they don't have radar. And they don't even have air traffic controllers. They have a, a radio facility, a radio operator. It's actually out on Long Island called New York Radio. And you tell New York Radio, so you got to plan for this. Because it takes time. So you have to tell New York Radio that you're getting, quote, beat up here. It's turbulent and you like a new altitude. Or there's a thunderstorm. So you have to start planning because you see the thunderstorm, but you can't wait till you're right there. you got to start planning because you have to get on the HF radio and ask New York Radio to relay to the air traffic controllers because it's not radar to get permission to change altitude. So you always have to think ahead, way, way, way ahead. Is there a certain altitude where the air is smoother? It, it might be, and it all depends, and it all changes. And you could be really rough at, at 31,000 feet, but down at 29,000 feet, it might be smooth. Um, and it, it's, just a, it's just a guessing game, really, just based on. And the predictions, WSI, the National Weather Service, they predict the turbulence based on altitude. So you can see ahead of time, before the flight even leaves, if they have all the reports, National Weather Service, whatever, that it's turbulent up high, then United Flight plans it down low to stay out of the turbulence. And sometimes you get out there, you know, I, I, we joke WSI is the best weather money can buy. And it's wrong. It's dead wrong sometimes. So it says it's going to be bumpy here and smooth there. And you get there and it's just literally the opposite. So you have... Ask the air traffic controllers what other airplanes are reporting. And of course, the controllers get sick of it. On a bad weather day, my God, that's all they do for eight hours is talk about the rough, rough rides that everyone's getting. And, you know, they, they, get, they get sick of it. So their, their standard response is, oh, yeah, it, it smooths up in 45 miles. Well, that's the end of their sector. <laughs> what causes those sudden drops of altitude? Sudden drops of altitude? Uh, well, hopefully you don't get too much of that where you really drop altitudes. But that's the, the different uh, convective uh, heat and temperature differences. Uh, one of the things I, I didn't mention earlier, but, you know, on a hot summer day in Texas, you have the thermals. So there's not a cloud in the sky, but you get all that hot air rising. So you're, you're going into Houston and the hot air is rising and you're flying through it, but it's rising at different rates. So you're... you're bounce it along there through the different, the thermals, that's what they're called, thermals, but different changes of temperature and the air. Thank you so much for the time. You're very welcome. I won't be scared now of yeah. turbulence. So it turns out that turbulence, the majority of the time, isn't that dangerous. Yeah, the vast majority. And what's important is that people always listen to flight attendant instructions. And when the captain is saying that you have to sit down and the flight attendants are saying you have to sit down and, and buckle up, it, it makes it that much more important. All right. Well, next time I'm flying, I'm going to feel even more safe. Good. <laughs> How about you? Does that make you feel better? Yeah, a little bit better. Got to get a good mix, mix tape. Calm me down. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode about turbulence. Let us know if turbulence scares you in the comments. Uh, this has been Now Boarding. We'll see you next time. Now Boarding is produced by Aaron Black and Leslie Josephs with camera by Liam Mays. 
animations by Jason Reginato, with support from senior production manager Kathy Mavrakakis, supervising producer Janice Pettit, and executive producer Camelia Angelova. 